This podcast is made possible by ATO Records, home of Grammy-nominated artist Brittany Howard, Black Pumas, Emily King, and Danny Barnes. Learn more at atorecords.com. Hey, it's Larry Crane. Welcome to the Tape Op Podcast. Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard have released a staggering amount of music over the last decade. Two of those releases, 2017's Flying Microtonal Banana and 2020's KG, are both heavily influenced by Turkish psych rock. Jeff Stanfield caught up with the band's main producer, writer, multi-instrumentalist, and singer, Stu McKenzie, to chat about this direction and take a deeper look at some of their favorite tracks on the most recent of the two albums. KG. Enjoy. Thanks for uh, taking the time to chat again. Of course. What I'd love to do today is talk about the new uh, King Gizzard record. But before we do, can you take me back a few years to uh, Flying Microtonal Banana, which introduced a sound that you've you've come back to on this new record, KG. But it was a different sound for the band at that time. So can you provide a little framework for where you ended up with this latest record? Yeah. Um, like Flying Microtonal Banana is, um, it is a dear to my heart record because it was honestly a really beautiful, creative time um, for me and for the band. Um, it's the, the, the initial seeds, um, came from listening to like Turkish psychedelic music, which I guess was adjacent to a lot of the kind of garage and psychedelic music that we were listening to in, you know, 2013, 2014 sort of era gears. I think you can, you can just hear it in there. But anyway, when... We, um, when we first toured the States, I took the opportunity to, um, it's, it's, it's in no way on the way, but for some reason in my, like, in my brain, I thought going to Turkey was on the way. So I went to Turkey on the way and did <laughs> like a, a, a vacation trip, holiday trip, like kind of thing. Um, cause I was, you know, interested to visit, but also insanely interested in the music and the culture and stuff there. Saw a heap of music and got really into it there. Brought home a balama, which is a Turkish stringed instrument. It's um, it's like a long-necked lute with movable frets. Um, and it's beautiful. It's, it's such a cool instrument. Uh, Erkan Kore, who I was really into at the time, played an electric balama in the 60s and in the 70s played really cool stuff and um i guess when i brought home this balama and started to learn it the thing that i didn't realize until i got home was that 
the thing about the music or one thing about the music, a very big part about the music that was getting me, it was like injecting me deep into my soul, into my brain was the, was the fact that the, 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 um, tuning's more fluid than ours. It's, it's microtonal. There's notes in between the notes, you know, and, and from song to song, the pitch, pitches change or move. It's insane. It's like, well, it's not insane. It's actually real. It's a, it's just a way more natural way of looking at music. I think, um, you know, the Western system is rigid. Their system's got a lot more fluidity to it, which I was just, it sort of just like opened up a new way of thinking about music for me. So I wrote a, a lot of songs on, on the Balama and tried to learn to play the thing pretty badly because like when you're a guitarist and you're trying to learn like a stringed instrument, you always play it like a guitar. Like no matter what you do, you always play, you know, like a bass player plays a bass like a guitar and like, etc etc so anyway i learned to play it in my way and sort of started to study the music and stuff wrote a bunch of songs um brought them to the band and um maybe there was three or four songs this time maybe five i don't know something like that i thought we we're going to make this kind of like balama based maybe folk-ish sounding kind of like chilled out acoustic record um and we jammed them and it it just, it just like, it just did not work. And it happens sometimes and, you know, you can't beat yourself up about it too much. But it just, it really did not click. So, um, this, this uh, serendipitous uh, uh, connection moment kind of happened when a friend around the same time hit me up and said, oh, I'm, 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 building, a guitar I'm building guitars at the moment. Do you want me to make you one? Um, you got any ideas? And I was like, Yes, I do. Let's make a microtonal electric guitar. Let's fret it similar to a Balama, but we'll um, we'll make it practical and um, in 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 a, you know King Giz's kind of like electric guitar world. So we sort of fuse these two things together. This electric guitar and this Balama kind of thing worked out a tuning that made sense. Worked out a fretting fretboard system that made sense and kind of like yeah dreamed this guitar up and a few months later this guitar was ready we called it the micro flying microtonal banana and um i just instantly just was just like holy shit this is this is like i can i can kind of like write again I'm, i feel free everything feels new on this thing everything feels fresh and exciting i can play this note that's like in between these other notes and it just sounds different and it's blowing my mind um anyway i think of all the times that um we've made a fair few records now and i think that was one that came together quickly in the best possible way because it felt so natural which sounds counterintuitive because we were doing this microtonal thing that we'd never done but it was because everything felt fresh everything that we did felt exciting and new because it was yeah, so how did you get the band up to speed on that whole concept? And and I guess they would also have to have instruments uh, that were similarly uh, tempered, right? Yeah, right. So going back to when this guitar, this magical kind of like thing was first, you know, brought to the fold, um, I spent hours and hours playing this thing and just the sort of like ideas were just kind of flowing um 
which is like in a, in a way that's not normal for me it felt really unforced it felt like you could play the simplest thing and it was like an epic 10 minute prog song you know like it was it was really a new thing for me um so anyway i i i sort of like jotted down a bunch of ideas just demos or just voice recordings on your phone or whatever and or it was playing playing them to the other guys and and that that sort of thing and I guess we just had to make a commitment. You know, I just said, I'm, I know that there's a record in this. Like there's a, there's a really interesting record or something that we've never explored in, in this, in this guitar, in this, in this idea, in this concept. And we've just got to commit to it. So, um, what we did was I, I set a budget for, for Cookie and Joey and Lucas to go buy, um, a, two, a, like an electric, electric guitar and a ba- two electric guitars and a bass. And it's 400 bucks each Aussie Australian dollars, which is, doesn't buy you much over here. But that was the point. It was like, we're going to kind of ruin these guitars. We're going to have to punch a b- bunch more frets into them. So we bought these like super cheap, funny um, instruments. Uh, two, two Telecaster copies, which Joe and Cookie played. One's like a Greco thing, which was actually quite cool. One's a, uh, I can't remember. I don't know. It might not have even had a, a brand on it. Lucas was um, a Gibson with a V, which I think was an Indian Gibson copy uh, from like the 80s or something. It's actually very cool looking, horrible sounding instrument. Anyway, we, we, we refretted all of these to kind of match with uh, the flying microtonal banana. We um, got together. We, uh, we started jamming. Um, and we did a thing that we hadn't done before, which we have done since, but we hadn't done it before at this at at, at this point. We um, we put mics in our rehearsal room in our like little jam room thing. We just set up mics on everything. Um, we recorded on just like a little eight track um, on a little uh, half inch Tascam reel to reel machine. Um, and we did, yeah, we just basically put a mic on everything and just um, kind of summed it down to tape and had everything kind of good to go. And then each day we would like jam a new song from scratch. And then by four or five o'clock, we would tape it. And that was the tape. That was the, t- that was the take. Every single song is that. Every single song is like we learned it that day. And by the end of the day, we, we recorded it. Um, and we maybe did 15 or 16 tracks like that. They were, they were all instrumental at this stage. I had vocal ideas, but we didn't track vocals like that. Um, Ambrose also was working with, a, with some harmonicas, which were microtonally tuned, and some keyboards, which we did some tricks on to hit the notes, which you can do on quite a few keyboards. You can sort of do, do microtonal, dorky, re, re, um, re-pitching of like individual notes. Um, anyway, it was just like a, a beautiful experience and it felt really way more natural than like it, it should considering how kind of like sort of bizarre the concept is. Something that you mentioned just in terms of like you putting a new instrument in your hands and the freedom that that brings and the ideas because we've been working with things that, you know, our whole lives are sort of these fixed instruments and, and the way that our ears have been accustomed to hear 
and the way that we hear music. And then you're right, you know, you hear something that comes from another place that, that has a much more fluid idea of, of pitch. It's pretty mind blowing, you know, and, and it, and it, it's not just I was having a conversation with this uh this friend of mine Danny Barnes and he we were talking about this record by Joseph Spence and he was talking about how kind of fluid the pitch was you know there are several records like that that come from that era where whether just by virtue of the guitar being you know the strings being so old and sort of a broken instrument that you know it just wasn't correct in terms of the intonation so you ended up with these sort of funky pitches and it, and it is it's really you know in certain circumstances it's super endearing and interesting sounding some people would just say it's out of tune but obviously there's a whole universe of music out there that sees it differently yeah and there's I, you know what i've dug into a lot and found really interesting is trying to decipher um what element of of pitch or in tune is is a construct and what element is built in what element is is physicality you know vibrating notes harmony what is real what is built into the fabric of a a wave of pressure a a pressure of air traveling you know vibrating your eardrum what is physical and what is kind of a construct of western culture breaking those two things apart is harder than you think because the the physicality is not so clear there are certain harmonies and and things that are clearly physical you know like a fifth is is clearly a a strong harmony and a and a third is clearly a strong harmony but you know western musicians don't sing the third or sing or play or whatever the third very in tune because our third is quite out of tune but it's close enough that it sounds right to our ears so it's very hard to 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 figure out what is a construct of of western music and and what is um the physicality of of or the um the physics of vibration you know um, I find that sort of stuff super, super fascinating. To be honest, that's not what we've explored in these records. Um, I, we, we worked with 24 tet, which is dividing the octave into 24 notes instead of 12. Equal notes, equal parts, which I personally like because it gives you your original 12 plus 12 that are as far from those, uh, those original 12 as possible because they're perfectly in the middle. So you have 12 notes which are really familiar to the Western ear and you have 12 notes which are as unfamiliar as possible. And I like that, I like that tuning system because it has a push-pull which you don't get from any other tuning. Right, and so when you're learning these tunes together as a, as a group, is it decided upon said riff is going to be these or is it sort of... Um, are people playing notes adjacent to each other simultaneously? You know what I mean? The thing we tried to do is with FMB was I wanted to try to use microtones in a way that I don't want to say you didn't notice them, but I didn't really want it to be the defining characteristic of the record. I wanted the record to be interesting and listenable in itself and be like, 
oh yeah, they're tricking me. You know, like this band is tricking me. They've got all these notes in there that I've I've never heard. Um, because I wanted to prove to myself that you could do that. Because when you're jamming and playing all this stuff, you your ear gets used to it pretty quickly, and you start to hear it differently um, to the someone who's heard it for the first time. So I wanted to move away from hardcore dissonance. I think with microtonal music, hardcore dissonance is really fucking easy. I think with microtonal music, um, like beautiful harmony or sort of um, or driving rhythms that make you want to dance and don't arrest your ears and just think this sounds wrong or broken is the hard thing. I think that's what we tried to do here. So I guess in answer to your question, there isn't a lot of tightly adjacent notes on this record. I think we were th- more thinking in the school of modal, we're in a mode, we're in a scale, we're all sticking to that scale, but that scale has notes outside of the Western sphere. In it. Yeah, 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 it makes sense. I think if you haven't heard this record and you're thinking about it, that it's sort of this, you know, wild, unlistenable, sort of really challenging thing to listen to, but it's not. There are really great songs and really great harmonies that are happening on this record, which make it just a really fun and interesting and different sounding record than you come across on a daily basis. Um, so I was hoping we could kind of go through and and talk about some of the things on this record, some of the tracks, and just dig into them a little bit. I have some of my favorites on the record, but maybe we could kind of just go down the list a little bit and, and talk about, like, uh, you know, the first track is a bit of an intro, but then we get into Automation, which was one of the singles on the record. Walk me through that one. Yeah, sweet. Um, I think, I think um, it is nice to talk about FMB first because I think it does prep you for this record i think um i'm going to talk slightly more broadly about this record for a, for a second i know it's not what you asked me but i was think- i was just thinking about it um fmb is to is to me is is to me one color we made it in uh it, it's meant to sound like it's a band because it is a band like i said we were kind of we just recorded them one by one in the room um i think we wanted to get away from that for k for KG just for this record but not because we don't like working like that but KJ is meant to be like a rainbow it's meant to be more colorful and varied and more paint splashed on the canvas if that makes sense um so you know that's kind of why yeah we sort of open with the intro which to me is colorful it's got tone a lot of tones it's got like textures and stuff um Automation is one, if we finally, yeah, finally get to your question, sorry. Automation is an, was one of the first things that started to come together for this record. Um, there are a handful of songs on here that um, were well predate COVID and, and stuff. Um, and this is one of them. It was just a drum and bass and guitar kind of like literally like a jam it was it was like oh that's a cool groove feel um oh that's a sweet riff like let's jam it um we stuck a couple of mics up i think there was one mic on the guitar um one mic on the bass amp 
one mic above the drum kit and one mic on the kick drum. And um, we recorded it as a demo. Um, and then um, it was just that, yeah, the three of us kind of just like, this is a noodle, like literally just a noodle around on like a little riff. Um, and COVID hit and we started to think about how we we're going to make a record because we're so used to being in the same room. And even if, you know, it's one person doing overdubs or whatever, or it's everyone in the room making music together, it was tricky to figure out how to make music in separate houses and, you know, on separate computers, on separate speakers, like not in the same room, FaceTiming about music and songs and stuff. We had to figure out how to do that. But we did have these handful of demos floating around. One of them, yeah, like I said, was automation. Um, and so uh, I took that jam, which was the drum, bass and guitar jam. And I realized I kind of liked the sound of it. It kind of had a cool record, a cool sound, cool feel. And I think it sounded fresh and, and real and, and loose because it was fresh and real and loose because we didn't think it was ever going to be on a record. Anyway, the, um, the final take on the record is just that demo but with a bunch of things recorded on top of it which was a nice way to make a song because it felt kind of free um because there was never the pressure of all right this is the take make sure you get it right <laughs> i think there's a couple of sections that were like chopped out you know a couple of like i don't know four bar sections that just had like a lot of maybe like bung notes or like bad jam bits you know the bad jam vibe but yeah that's that one we the it's it's talking about um it's uh lyrically about the inevitable uh ai takeover of, of humanity which will maybe probably happen to us and sort of pledging allegiance saying hey if you guys take over don't kill me i'm one of you it's cool i'm on your side <laughs> I mean, it's a it's it's an interesting mix because it's it's a, it's a really dense mix to me, and I think it's probably you know makes sense. Some of the things lack a little bit of clarity in a great way, um, but there's also a bunch of orchestration on there, right? Is that is that uh, there's some wood woodwinds and violins and it's all mellotron, but yeah, it's kind of like yeah the orchestral kind of mellotron patches. There's a lot of that on this record, actually. Oh, the other thing, the reason it sounds like that as well is because, so we recorded it with a handful of mics, the demo, the demo, whatever, and I lost the, the session. So the, the, um, all I had was a bounce down, which was just stuck. Everything stuck together. The mix was stuck. Uh-huh, you know? yeah. It had to work with that, which was annoying, but yeah, we're kind of used to doing that, bouncing down to tape and everything like that. It just, it didn't sound like I wanted it to sound, but we had to work with that. Yeah, I mean that's such an interesting point. I mean, I think in a, in a lot of ways, one of the things that I love the most about your record is this sort of you just do it, 
and it doesn't feel overly i mean it doesn't i'm not suggesting that you don't labor over the records in terms of you caring about them but there's a lot of choices that are being made it would seem along the way and if your hand was forced i think a lot of people wouldn't release that if it was like ah damn you know we lost the session and we've got this mix down and it's a little not what we want it to be but instead of you know you took that and then you built around it and then it became something that is viable and has life i i like to release stuff because it feels liberating like i like to be able to move to the next thing and there's only so much you can store in your brain you know if you make a record then it's a 12 song record or whatever but you wrote 20 you've got to store 20 ideas in your brain it's it's hard to do like i i prefer to have an idea and expel it as quickly as possible because it's it's stopping you from moving to the next thing and i think that's been a lesson that i've learned continuously and continuously with with king is is that it's it's helped us learn and grow and develop by just releasing stuff a lot and learning to finish things and to to move to the next thing but um there is something real and different about um there is a real move on when you when you release something because it's unchangeable like once you press something on vinyl or whatever you can't get in there and like turn the snare up anymore you know it's done it's it's out it's finished and that is the best feeling in the world to me because if if you finish something and then it sits on your computer or it, like it's on tape or it's whatever you can still edit it and you'll still think about it i'll still think about it like i can't stop thinking about a song until it's released you know how about um uh minimum brain size i love the the melody and the harmony on this track yeah this is a um this is a joey led track um i think it's one of my favorites that he has written as well and um it felt it felt right to put it here in the flow of the record he's he's talking about uh toxic masculinity and like dickhead men i guess <laughs> i suppose you would describe it as He's, he wrote some great riffs here and there's some um, there's some great uh, Cavs drums in this one as well. Um, this was a purely ISO recording as many of the tracks on this record are which we had to learn to do and it was interesting. I think songs like Minimum Brain Size would have sounded very, very different if not for COVID um, and I'm kind of really like proud of what we ended up putting together because it required kind of a change of workflow that maybe led to new ideas or something um 
But anyway, this was one that was kind of like, this was like a session, like a, you know, like a Ableton session or whatever that was passed around to, to people and added to and, and stuff. Um, and then kind of mixed purely in isolation. So it's a bizarre way of working. I, I've grown to appreciate it. I'm hoping that we don't have to do it forever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it, like you said, I mean, it, in some ways it's like picking up a new instrument, right? It, it sort of forces your hand to be creative in a new way. Right. And I think we got sounds that we wouldn't have otherwise. You know, the the record has, has a sound that we wouldn't have gotten if we were all in a room. And and in, in a lot of ways, it's great. I like, I think it's great because it's different. And it's, this record sounds different to any record that we've released before. And I think that's a huge part. Yeah, but it, do, it doesn't feel like it's totally out of the realm, though. You know, there's it, it still feels very much in the world of your other records to me. And we're just the same, the same, same people still. We just like, we, we actually all live kind of like hilariously close to each other as well. You know what I mean? So we just, instead of being in the same room, we're just like a couple hundred meters away from each other, <laughs> <laughs> all separately working on the same song. <laughs> How about Straws in the Wind? This is another one that you guys released before the record came out. This one was an early one to come together. Um, I I wrote lyrics and 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 um, had a scratch vocal on this, and I just hated it. Like it happens to me occasionally. I I've got this kind of um, real connection to the to the music and to the tune and stuff and. For some reason, the the lyrics just don't click, um, and it sat around until very, very close to the end. Very, very close to when this record was being finished, and we kept coming back to it and just saying, "This song is is cool. It's just like your lyrics like suck, dude. <laughs> you know, or something. Or it's like it just didn't didn't have the feel. It didn't didn't have the melody. Um, and anyway, at the very last minute, I just said, Ambrose." Can you sort of like try save this song? Um, we've done this actually a, a few times. Ambrose specifically has come to the record and rewritten and re-sung um, tracks. And I'm trying to think about what they were. Um, he's done this a couple of times. Anyway, he saved the song. The only lyric he kept was Straws in the Wind, which was from the original kind of like um, vocal take. But anyway, he sort of just did his thing and he ambrosified it and um i think i think it ended up being to me it's like a, a record highlight because it's it's its own kind of thing in its own little world to me Yeah, let's jump over to uh, Intrasport because this is another one that just, you know, when I first heard it, it sort of struck me as a bit of an oddball. 
Um, it's got like this like, almost Latin bass, and then it's got this bubbling synth, which is featured. Tell me a little bit about that one. Yeah, this is another Joey-led one. This is this is Joey's other kind of led track on the record. Um, he is into dance music, always has been. He was a DJ when I met him. He was a touring he was a touring DJ. Um, of course, like he's also a great guitarist, but he is a he's a lover of like this kind of music, and he makes this he makes um, electronic music just as much as he makes like rock music or like psychedelic music or whatever so i think this one felt real logical to him He was joking with me the other day that it was government-sanctioned dance music because he's always kind of wanted to make this kind of thing with Gizzard and it was like, when we talked about this record, it was it was kind of, let's make a microtonal record, but it's like colorful, it's rainbow, it's everywhere, it's anything. It's, we can do anything we want. It's, you know, it's deliberately open. It's, it's um, and he was like, government-sanctioned microtonal dance music sweet i'm finally like i've found my calling <laughs> my favorite tracks on this record if not my favorite is honey i just love this tune it it feels like something i've heard i've you know listened to my whole life it has you know this otherworldliness and sort of you know psychedelic and middle eastern vibe to it that i I just i just love i'd love to hear about that one yeah thanks man um i um i've got a soft spot for this this track as well it um it was another of the earliest tracks. You know, the, the three earliest tracks that came together for this record were Automation, Straws in the Wind, and Honey. So it's funny that we've spoken about those three. Um, but, yeah, I'm not even sure what to say. Okay, let's, let's uh, where do we go? There was many demos of this track. So it was, it, was a, it was a rock song. It was like a heavier kind of like, kind of four to the floor, like foot stomper. Um, we recorded it twice like that um, pre, pre-COVID um, it just didn't feel right because I liked the melodic element of this song and I really wanted that to I just uh, yeah like I said it's kind of one of my it's, I have a very soft spot for this song as well and that's why I really tried to save it I think like you mentioned you know sometimes with Giz it it does feel like we just 
do it and it's just there and it's just you don't think about it too much and it just happens and a lot of the time it is like that but a lot of the a lot of the time and there is a bunch of songs in our discography that like we have to try so many ways until they feel right so anyway there was two like rock song kind of versions with electric guitars and fuzz and stuff um we actually fleshed one of these out they were fully it fully had vocals and lyrics and stuff on it that were different to what we ended up with um, and then there was kind of this more like drum machine version that had um, yeah like a shitty kind of drum machine backbeat um, that started to feel kind of like more in, in the world and then um, we replaced the electric guitars in the drum machine kind of like track with acoustics and um, it started to feel even more even more like melodic it was like the the melody of the melody started to shine in it um anyway we basically just kept stripping things back from this rock version with the drum machine until um you have what the song is now um it was kind of like super 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 layered and then everything was just stripped back and stripped back and simplified um and you know now there isn't a huge amount of record uh, like um tracks in the session and there's not a lot of vocal overdubs and stuff because we deleted a lot of a lot of things in there um so yeah you know maybe not ultra typical of giz but i i do also love this song it's a sweet one then the last tune you know it's like you go from honey into this thing that it, it just sounds like it. you're I dropped a needle on a Black Sabbath record <laughs> Well, we had to we had to put it after honey because it makes it sound heavier and louder, you know. <laughs> I mean, that was a deliberate kind of thing. Um, yeah, this song um, felt like the closer from the moment that we it started to come together. Flying Nocturnal Banana was a record that deliberately sounded like one thing, like it sounded like one band. It had one sound. It had a tone. It had a feel. It had a color. Th- this record in terms of like the scales and the microtonality and and stuff like that i wanted to escape the every song is in the same scale thing which i'm honestly not i don't even think is bad i think it's kind of rad but i i like that this record has a lot of different sounds and scales and stuff anyway this song has this like ultra weird dissonant 
flat five note, which is like Black Sabbath, but wrong. And I kind of wanted to make something out of that, which was just honestly the impetus of the song. It's nice how you can, with microtonal stuff, you can you can think like, I like that note. <laughs> it's like literally a note and it's like, oh yeah, that's an entire song, you know, like it, because it's different and like you don't hear that particular note in in other songs because it's you can't play it on any western instrument so um it's it's like the whole song is just based on a note and i'm i, I kind of think that's the cool thing about this song well thanks man thanks for your time again of course yeah no probs always fun Thanks for listening. Find us online at tapeop.com, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Until next time. <laughs>